Cloud-based software development platforms such as GitHub Codespaces continue to grow in popularity. These platforms are attractive to enterprise organizations because they can be managed centrally with security controls. However, many, if not most, developers prefer a local IDE. Daytona is aiming to bridge that gap. It's a layer between a local IDE and a backend server, so developers can work locally while interfacing invisibly with a remote environment. Ivan Borizin is the CEO and co-founder at Daytona, and he joins the show today to talk about how Daytona works, Spotify as an inspiration for his product, and more. This episode is hosted by Lee Acheson. Lee Acheson is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His best-selling book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business. Listen at mdb.fm. Follow Lee at softwarearchitectureinsights.com and see all his content at leeatchison.com. Evan Birazin is co-founder and CEO of Daytona and one of the initial founders of the entire cloud IDE craze, and he is my guest today. Evan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Lee, for having me. So you were one of the original founders of this space, really, when you created PHP Anywhere was, I believe it was 2009. Is that correct? 2009. That was a long time ago. Long time ago. And later that turned into Code Anywhere, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are at least aware of and aware of the history there a little bit. But now you've completely put that aside and have started focusing on something new. You're in the same space, but it's a different product altogether and called Daytona. So this actually begs a couple of questions. Why did you do that? Why did you set aside code anywhere? And why is Daytona better? Oh, it's, it's completely different. I mean, we started this, again, that journey in 2009. And so you'll remember in 2009, there was no GitHub. In 2009, there was no Web 2.0. I mean, people talk about Web 3.0, whatever it was the last couple of years. But this was like Web 1.0. There was no sort of Ajax was a thing still coming out. We were creating this browser-based editor, and we didn't know how to solve the syntax highlighting. We were thinking about creating it in, in Flash, if you remember Flash. That existed way back then. So this was a really, really long time ago that we started out with this idea. I feel that we were probably the first of all the you know competitors that came out after that, which was like Cloud9, Coding, and you know everyone that's now here. There is, at one point, Heroku also started as a cloud-based ID, so probably they're technically the first one, but I think they really quickly figured out that that was not going to work. So that was even before us. And so Heroku became what, you know, it became and really successful and sold to, well, at least at the time, to Salesforce for I think it was like 250 million, so an insane amount. Anyway, back to cloud development, we really thought that cloud development was going to have its Google Docs moment. That's sort of when we changed the name to Code Anywhere, when I think Google acquired, I think the company was called Rightly, to become, you know, the word competitor in the browser. But, you know, bottom-up motion for developers, building your own editor and building your own editor is a hard job. You can ask Microsoft who created VS Code. Like, they invested a lot to get up and running. And so we learned that the hard way, and we pushed that for a really, 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 really long time. We sort of ended up pausing and then came back with Daytona. But 
that's a bit of the history. I think I can get into more about that. And then I think it's on afterwards or like why, where and how. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We can talk about that more as we go forward here, but you know, what makes a cloud IDE better than a traditional local IDE? So there's a lot of semantics around this and I've actually writing, writing a couple of posts. I've wrote some sort of define the things because the names really get confusing and all over the place. So the way I like to define a cloud IDE is basically a IDE in the sense of like a interface, a product that the engineer will work with that is now inside a browser. So think any, you know, IntelliJ, PHP Storm, VS Code, whatever inside of a browser, right? And so I actually don't think that's better. I think that offers some flexibility and some opportunities, but I think that there is a reason why developers haven't migrated to the cloud. And one of those reasons is because of limitations in the browser still and the comfort of the desktop interface of the actual ID. And I just want to add why that also makes sense for the rest of the world. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people have desktop versions of Slack installed or desktop versions of Notion installed. These are actually web applications that just have a wrapper on the desktop. But having that sort of real estate on your desktop gives a different feel and interaction. I think that is what why, one of the reasons why browser-based IDEs never took off because developers' desktop IDEs were one more powerful in the sense of like the ecosystem of plugins and whatnot, but also that sort of feel of that real estate that you want on your desktop. I happen to agree with you. I'm a big fan of a local application for most of my, you know, whether we're talking about code development or Notion, GitHub, et cetera, I much prefer a local application to a web-based application, but there is still the counter example of that, which is Google Docs. You know, I think more people today prefer Google Docs over Microsoft Word I'm not one of those, by the way. I prefer Microsoft Word. but So I think there is some a move in that direction. Do you see that as not happening in the IDE space, or do you think it will? So, yeah, I mean, I feel that Google Docs is maybe the exception because I'm very much, to your point, I'm very much a person that likes to have the application locally. I think notifications work better. I can, you know, the way it splits up on my screens, it works better. It's just like the entire feel is better. But I still do use... I use both Word, I mean, in the sense of the Microsoft Office suite, and I also use the Google ones. And for some reason, it works because it's really quick. The collaboration is there. And I think the collaboration, so thinking about it right now, I think the collaboration piece, you know, I'm going to write a doc, which is like a press release, right? And then I'm starting writing it and me and you work in the same company. And then I just like, hey, Lee, can you take a look at this? And then you can go in and write that, right? And for a lot of products, I don't think that works in that manner or not it's not necessary to work in that manner and so that's why you sort of default first to to at least you default to google docs for that i don't know because word in my experience the collaboration the sense of like that real time collaboration doesn't work as smooth they have other great things and i actually use word because of like the history and the markup and everything that i do you can see my changes much better than google docs but that collaboration piece just works better in google and i've sort of used that so it can be that sort of, that exception to the rule, I think, maybe. I don't know. That's how I feel. I think that makes sense. That's certainly my experiences too. I you know, I prefer Word. I use Word for everything. You know, I've got a couple other things. I, I do a lot of writing. And so I've got a an environment for writing that's also a local environment. But I use Google Docs when I'm sharing and like talking to an editor and having them review my docs and all that sort of stuff back and forth because it works well for that. 
But I guess the question for a development environment is, is it more of a personal experience? And I'm not talking about what it is today. I'm asking what it should be or what it's going to be. Is it more of a personal experience or is, you know, pair programming and code reviewing before submission and all those sorts of things that are handled now with GitHub, you know, processes Mm -hmm. that are put in place. Are all of those sorts of techniques making it more like the Google Doc for sharing is the way of the future versus the Microsoft Word of a local environment? Yeah, absolutely. I see that. And But this could be my bias in the sense of what we did not succeed, so I could be wrong. So at one point, Code Anywhere, about 2014, we were pitching the future is going to be a collaborative editor, right? Like, so you have GitHub and it's async collaboration, but maybe you need like actual synchronous collaboration, think pair programming and whatnot. And in all honesty and everything that I've seen in the last 14 years, which doesn't mean it's not going to change, I have not seen this becoming mainstream in the sense of something you need as a necessity to be able to work. I see it more as there's companies, so we've talked to, you know, they're in VMware, the team that was Pivotal before that got acquired, they work exclusively, as far as I heard, and I talked to them, they use exclusively in pair programming. So they oh, they work eight hours a day in pairs, in teams. And I don't see the rest of the world going that way. I feel that it's more like, again, exceptions. There are companies that are going to do work like that, and that makes sense. And also you have like VS Code has their live share plugin, whatever, and you can sort of collaborate. Even... You know, Code Anywhere, Daytona has its own collaboration piece. And I feel that's more like a feature checkmark, like, oh, you have this too. And some people might use that sometime. But I don't think it's the way that the vast majority of developers are going to migrate that work on large-scale program, uh, large-scale software engineering tasks. So it's more like, you know, the pull request model for review will be here for a while as opposed to the Google Docs sort of review process. And the different types of analogies I can take in the world, and I'll, I'll give you one as a kid, like when I was much younger, so I live by the sea right now. And so there's all these like ferries and boats and whatever coming across. And you'll probably know this, like boats, when they come to a dock or a port, they're tied by ropes and then they put full throttle toward the port. And then, you know, people come on, Right. And at one point in time, I was like thinking, like, this seems silly. Why, like, why can't we just have, like, magnets and, like, something happens? And it's just, like, automation. Like, why do we have these ropes? Like, it seems so, you know, whatever, prehistoric. And it just works good enough. Like, it works good enough that there's no need in changing it. And it'll probably be more complex to create some sort of standard across semi-automated magnetic ports of whatever than just having two ropes or four ropes to tie up to a port, right? And it might not be the exact analogy that works here, but I feel that the way the developers work in large organizations, working on large projects, and what I was going to say a minute ago is that there are companies that are trying to reimagine the way software development is done and you know bringing on the next billion developers and whatnot. And they have a vision where, you know, we just have one interface, like a cloud ID or an ID, whatever. The development environment is in the cloud and you do everything there. You build it, you run it, you test it. Everything is automatic and you can even deploy it. It works on their infrastructure. And this idea sort of makes sense if you're like a single developer trying to build something. But if you're in a large company and basically we're all, a lot of us in the sense of like the proportional amount of 
software that's created that has impact is in large companies. These are very complex systems that have to have all these stages that have to be distributed globally, that have to go through these regulation and compliance issues. And in a world where that will still exist and as complicated as it is, it's very hard for me to imagine a world where let now everything, all that is like removed and you have this simple, you know, editor in the cloud and you collaborate and all, you know, GitHub and Git has disappeared because we can do this synchronously. I don't know if I gave an actual streamlined answer to you. Feel free to dig down on that. But I like what you're saying. You know, I think back to when I started writing software and I'm older than most software developers. I'm back in the age when software development was not a common thing for people to go into and when they go through college. But back in the early days when I was I was working at Hewlett Packard, the way we did reviewing of each other's code was we printed out the source code and we walked through it line by line and then we had to do all that before the milestones released because we were doing a waterfall process. You know, it's the level of sophistication that's gone into simply moving to, you know, the modern day CICD mechanisms and then the philosophy that went into the idea of a pull request and the idea of Git. People don't understand how revolutionary just even Git is mm -hmm. compared to the old yep. days of software development, right? And that alone was such a major advantage that in my opinion, we, we're not needing more than that right now. Maybe we will someday, but there's not a huge demand. Like you're saying that the ropes holding boat in place is enough and it's better than the alternative, which is, you know, people holding hands to hold the boat in place. Right. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. I see that message and that iterates very well with me and that makes a lot of sense. So let's take that the next step and say, okay, then what is Daytona and what is Daytona doing for you? Sure. And so when I think about Daytona, like, the idea that cloud or remote, let's not call it, let's not call it cloud, but in the sense of like remote development, remote compute can help a developer has always been there. And I still found it silly that we cannot utilize that because in the world where we started it, whatever, whenever it was, having remote compute meant that you had to have a browser based ID or you were using VDI, so a virtual desktop interface. So a lot of listeners might not even know what that is because... So, they're younger, but there's still things that exist in the sense of remote desktop and Citrix. And the way some large companies they have to be fully secured, all development environments have to be behind the firewall. And the only way it can work today is that, oh, you can now use this, you know, screen sharing sort of technology. And then you log into our server and your editor is over there and your runtime is over there, your development environment is over there. And so that is an awful experience. And you have people like, Streaming essentially their editor eight hours a day. And I think that's just like a horrible, but that was the only way to, those are the only two ways to do it. And so what really happened revolutionary for the market and why we decided to come back in is that the edit, the IDEs themselves, so VS Code and JetBrains as the most prominent, basically opened up the doors and said, we will enable or we will create remote developed environments as a first class citizen, basically. So developers of the world, you can still use your desktop IDE but the they compute, the development environment can be somewhere else and it will feel local. Well, they take care of most of that, right? And so that was very, that happening basically changed everything. So the way we think about what Daytona has become, Daytona is basically this invisible layer. So the idea is that developers basically don't interact with Daytona almost at all. There's a web dashboard and there's a CLI command tool, but basically you're just going to use it to create a workspace. So check out a Git repository, 
in this workspace, which is now your development environment. It's no longer a laptop. And that's all you do. You can create it. There's other settings, but basically a developer will just like, you know, run this development environment or create it or delete it. Everything else is magic in the background. And what I mean by magic is that the developer will continue using the editor that they've been using, but the environment, if needed for security or if needed because their laptop is not big enough, or in the sense of like you have companies, so Shopify is a good example, their development environments were so big, they couldn't run on the most expensive Macs anymore. So they had to say, oh, like team, you have to work off, you have to work off your local host. So, you know, here's a bunch of EC2 instances and go work. Well, that ends up to being super complex because one, these are publicly hosted production level virtual machines, which are security risk on its own. Plus you need a DevOps team to manage these because are they on, are they off? Did someone break something? Are they lost? What happened? And also there's a huge cost because Amazon or Google or or Azure is charging you per minute per developer. So if you have a company with a hundred or a thousand or 2000 engineers, and they're spinning exactly eight hours a day, even if you got that right, you're you're paying for those full eight hours a day. So there's a complication from the developer side because they have to spin up this EC2 instance. They have to make sure it works, have to install everything there. There's overhead from a management perspective because you have a Palantir has, I think, 500 engineers and they were doing this for a while. They had 12 DevOps engineers full-time just managing these remote development environments, right? And then there's like the huge cost of it because it's one VM per one person. Or so anyway, I might have derailed a lot, but basically this is sort of where the world is going because of the size of these things. And there's a lot of companies that have ended up either building something like a Daytona or just using these remote development environments. And so that's where we come in. It's like, one, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be super complex. You can install a control plane, which is Daytona. They spin up and down the development environments. They make sure your developers don't have to interact with them. You have to, you, you don't need a bunch of DevOps people. It's basically one DevOps person for 2000 of your engineers that you have, right? And it can be fully secure because it runs in your data center if you need it to run there. So that's part of it. There's more, but um, that's sort of the beginning of the conversation where we started. So Daytona isn't a IDE replacement. It's not an online IDE or anything like that. What it is, is an interface between your local IDE and backend servers, presumably cloud servers, but they could be anything in order to make the experience of editing in that remote environment as easy as possible. Is that a fair summary? That is a fair say. And to your question is where do we fit in and why we think this is acceptable to the world, right? Is that we are not changing anyone's habits at this point. Like everything is as it was. You code in one place, then you push it to staging, then it goes to CI, then it goes like all these stages still exist. What we did do is remove overhead from the engineer, the developer, because on one hand, we we also utilize the infrastructure's code if they want to, in the sense of dev container or whatnot. So they don't have to worry. But even if they don't have, they don't use that, someone can set up a Golden standard templates in the sense of like, oh, this is a template we use. So you as engineer don't have to read a readme file, install dependencies, figure out what doesn't work and whatnot. And moreover, if your company has multiple projects they're working on, you don't have to now shut down or uninstall anything. You can have as many of these up at the same time as you want. You want to check out a PR request, but you're still working on something. You can do that on a fresh new machine. That's not on your machine. It's somewhere else, right? But it feels like it's on yours. So All we did was take the headaches or actually paper cuts that engineers have throughout their day and just made them go away. 
And sort of that's how we position Daytona. This is cool. This is cool. So again, just to complete the picture, so people who are listening understand exactly what we're talking about here. Let's say you're using a, a JetBrain editor or VS Code. It doesn't matter. You're using a coding environment, one of those two coding environments, and you check out your code to edit and then run in your development environment. When you're using Daytona, that's not occurring on your local Macintosh. That's occurring on a remote development machine. You're checking out your code onto a remote machine. Your editor is interacting with the remote machine. And then you're executing or running your tests and running your development instances on those remote machines. That's what we're talking about here. But your editing environment is still the local environment. Absolutely. Okay. So there's a couple things that come to mind with this is, so like Google Docs, this requires an online connection to be consistent and working all the time in order to do development. Is there an offline mode that still works in this environment? Absolutely. So there is. And so it's not super simple in the sense that it's easy, but it's not integrated currently. So because right now we use, we default to dev container JSON as a definition of the development environment. So Dev Container JSON is basically infrastructure's code for a development environment. It's an open standard. It's created by Microsoft. There are other competing standards in the sense of dev file, or even Nix is now becoming a standard for the specification of development environments. So let's say, for an example, that your company actually does use that, or you, you as a team use that to define your development environment. It, that file is part of your GitHub or Git repository. And every time Daytona checks out your repository, it will read the file and spin it up and it'll always work. But also what's interesting, but because it's an open standard, for example, VS Code, but also JetBrains supports that as a standard. So let's say the server dies, you're on an airplane and you know security compliance allows you to run it locally because some you just can't. And it's small enough that it works on your machine, so it's not super big. You can check it out locally as well and continue working. So you check it out on your local laptop, continue working, then you can check it out somewhere else. Because the idea is, before we get into questions like why does this make sense, the idea isn't that the way we see the future, we think that nothing is going to be 100%. So you have people saying that cloud development is the future and everyone's going to cloud 100%. And then you have people, local hosts, who's like, you'll take my local host out of my cold, dead hands, on the other hand, right? You have like two of these sides. Well, I actually believe it's somewhere in the middle because right now we know for a fact that a percentage of the world works on remote development environments. There is, so LinkedIn works, Google, Facebook, Uber, Twitter, all these companies work, like these companies work. Then you have a bunch of like, the majority of people still work local. And so I believe it'll, that percentage will move more towards cloud, but I believe it will be hybrid because you ideally want the developer to use the best possible tools they can inside the constraints that they have. And so a super example, and I'm, I'm mentioning Spotify again, because they're very much an inspiration to what we've built. With Spotify in their CLI tool, because they've built this internally, a version of Daytona, they allow you to spin up the development environment locally or in the cloud, depending on what project, what you need to do and whatnot. And I think that works really well because Let's say that I'm a developer and I want to work locally. I'm allowed to work locally and it fits on my machine. Great. I'll work locally. Inside of Daytona, I'll just put Daytona local, whatever, and it'll spin it up locally. It'll spin up in your Docker container on your Mac and it'll work. But what's interesting is still, if I want to spin up a parallel system, check out a, you know, a PR, or I have to work on another project really quick, I don't have to shut, out, shut off the VM I'm working on. I don't have to do anything. I just now in my command lines, oh, now Daytona on the remote, up this workspace, right? 
And now I have two jet brains working in parallel for everything I need. It's not about working in parallel. It's about that I don't have to stop or turn off what I'm working in for before. So you have that optionality for whatever you want to do. So is it fair to say there's basically three, I hate to say extremes, but there's three different endpoints in this whole discussion. There's the entirely local development where you check out your code locally, you make changes, you push it back, you do pull yeah. requests, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's the entire remote environment, like the cloud nine experience, right? Where yeah. you are logged in, you have a browser open and that browser has an editing environment in it. That's yeah. the cloud nine experience. Yeah. And then this middle of the road middle ground, which is kind of not really middle. It's another access to a triangle, if you will, is this model that, that Daytona does where it's a local IDE with an interface to the development environment, which is remote and remote, meaning it can be anywhere, including locally. So all you're really doing is you're doing local development, but splitting the development environment away from the editing environment and letting them coexist in different locations which the IDEs allow, but now you're making that easy to happen. Absolutely. And so that's why we sort of, the term that's currently used for systems similar to us is CDEs in the sense of cloud development environments, as you said at the beginning of our discussion. And so that's why I believe I wrote a blog post about this, why I believe that's fundamentally wrong. Well, one, I feel it's one, and this is no fault of yours in the sense of like you have like analysts and people have talked about this. It's like, Cloud development environments is sort of like a market segment now, which one I feel silly because it's saying that a market segment is called a CDE is like saying that the auto industry is called a car, right? It's not <laughs> the same thing. Right. So it could be cloud development environment orchestrators or managers or whatever, but like it's basically not that. And so we went into sort of searching what we are and we sort of aligned with SCMs, which are source code managers, which is GitHub, Bitbucket and whatever. They've expanded, but basically that's it. And so to your answer, what we believe we are is basically development environment managers. That is what the product does. It manages your development environment across wherever technology, geography, whatever you want it to be. We manage that or in the sense of Daytona manages that for you. And you as a developer feels that it's always local. You don't care. It basically works where you want it to work. And that's how we see the market. And that's how we see what we do. And to your point, exactly, right? If you want it to run on your local Mac, it'll spin up your local Mac. If you want it to run on your company's infrastructure, it'll work there. If you have a private installation of Daytona as well, and you want to work on your server that's in your bedroom, it'll work there as well. If you define where it will basically spin up, right? Is this a reasonable analogy where what you are to development environments is what GitHub is to code? You provide the management for the shared development experience no matter where that is, whether that's locally or remotely or whatever's involved, you're the ones that are managing that experience. Exactly. We're managing the experience. We're managing how do the workspaces spin up? How do they spin down? When do the idle? What are their sizes? I mean, you as an administrator can define what the sizes are, but then that is applied across you know, your teams or sub teams. And then we make sure that that happens where it's supposed to happen. Right. And also it's like, do you want to enable your developers to spin up something locally? No, you don't, because that project is, you know, a bank's client, which is a bank you're not allowed to. Or geography, let's say that you have, we're working with a client right now, which is a very, very big Fortune 500 company, which has on-prem 
servers, like physical HP servers in one EU country, but it also has AWS for some other things. And so Daytona is deployed across both of those. And depending who the user is and who the project is, it has to spin up in different places because of legality and data sovereignty. Okay. Okay. So, you know, if we look at this, what I would call a triad of different ways of doing development, mm-hmm. you know, the, the local, the remote, and then the, the Daytona. Let's just, yeah. just call it that for the, those That's three so cool. models. Well, I'll take, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, you'll take yeah. that. <laughs> I think you'd like that. But of those three models, you obviously have a bias towards the Daytona model. But looking at the three, one of the things I was going to ask is, where do you think the industry is going? But I realize now that's a bad question because mm-hmm. the answer is the industry is going in all the different directions for different purposes, depending on different cases. You've described very effectively why that's important and that makes a lot of sense. But do you see any consolidation in that area? Do you see any growth? Sure. You know, you, you obviously see growth in the Daytona area, but do you see adjustments happening over time in that triad? Oh, for sure. I think things will definitely consolidate in the sense of the market. So just one caveat here that you mentioned the sense of the Cloud9 browser editor. I mean, just to be clear, Daytona does have a prepackaged browser editor if you want it. I mean, it's silly not to have it if you actually want it, but you know, most people will use the desktop one. I also do believe that there will be consolidation in the market itself. So if we look at the big players, so the big players are the hyperscalers. So you have AWS and Google and Microsoft, obviously. So Microsoft has, you know, the best, what's the term, running horse or whatever it is, racehorse, I don't know. So they own GitHub. They own GitHub, which is like a, you know, seriously, that is every developer has an account on GitHub. Some of them use it full-time, some of them part-time, whatever, but everyone uses GitHub. And then GitHub is their own product, which is Codespaces, which has been instrumental in the sense of creating not awareness, but acceptance that working remote is okay, which I think is absolutely great. And so they have a product that's now purely SaaS, which a large segment of the customer base that we're looking at cannot use, but it's there, right? Then you have Amazon, Amazon acquired Cloud9, and they're still using that. They've created their own sort of development environment offering as well. But it's strictly AWS, right? So it's only in AWS. If you want something local, you can't do it. So they're there. Google has their own thing. And then you have like a myriad of competitors, direct and adjacent. So in the world where you mentioned at the beginning, the terminology. So you have browser-based development environments, cloud IDs, cloud development environments, developer environment managers, and, you know, all in between. There's like, there's literally, I think there's like 37 quote unquote, serious players in the sense that they've raised some capital and been here for a while in this space. And everyone's trying to solve it from their angle. Obviously, I'm biased towards that. We think we're doing the best one. But there will surely be consolidation in the sense of companies that are have the same vision for the future. If they're right, they'll probably merge. One will acquire another. Or if they both be right, the hyperscalers will acquire. Each will acquire one. That's sort of how the world goes. But the other parts of the other companies that have been in here, note, I just have to say this, because we were part of the wave of cloud IDs way back in the day, when there was Cloud9, there was Code Anywhere, there was Coding with AK, Nitrous IO, I don't know if anyone else was there. So, I mean, two of them completely died. Oh, and there was Code Envy. So two of them shut down, two of them got acquired. So Cloud9 was AWS and 
Code Envy became Eclipse Chair, which is by Red Hat. And Code Envy were just sort of stayed in the side. So we sort of like stayed as a small little project. But we've seen this happen before. Well, and I strongly believe this will happen again. The ones that are sort of right or really right will either merge, be acquired, or maybe someone becomes a really big player because they expand beyond the core of just the development environment. And we can talk about that if you want later. And the other section will either be hired or spin down. But that is definitely going to happen in the next two years, maybe. So fairly quick. Yeah, so there'll be consolidation, Yeah, what you're saying. So where do the enterprise companies, where do they land in all this? You know, there's the large enterprise. We need our own security policies. We need to decide where things go. We need to decide how you develop code and where you go and what you do. That's the strong end all the way down to the very weekend where it's like, you've got a computer, do what you want. Where does this fit into all of that? And how does this either enable enterprises to help manage their environments better or interfere with it or contribute to it? How does the enterprise play into this? So there's basically two types of enterprises, we can call that, or the types of customers that we've talked to. And I basically split them between the ones that want to enable just a better user experience for their engineers, because ultimately, if it's a better user experience, they will be happier at work and they will create, but do better work, right? And then you have the other spectrum, which is either people are doing whatever they want. This doesn't make sense. We need structure. We need standardization. We need security. We need whatnot. So we need to bring this in. So it's very much two sort of polar opposite ways of thinking about this, right? And so you can imagine that, you know, the first ones are more the Silicon Valley type companies, where the former are the more more sort of like old school finance, you know, security, defense, whatever you call it. The product itself is quite, we believe it can be the same, but it can ultimately be very different as well. Because if you think about a lot of companies that sell business to business only, and if you've ever probably seen these or worked with them, like procurement very much looks at checklists or feature lists, not UX, right? So it's like, I remember this when I worked at a company. It was like, we wanted to have Airtable because it's awesome. And they're like, no, we pay Microsoft and you have Microsoft Forms. Use that. I'm like, I don't want to use that, right? Because Microsoft Forms on paper does everything that Airtable does on paper, but it doesn't. It's a different thing, right? So the way we've built it is for those two, hopefully that it works for both both of those two. So anyway, to answer your question, we've gotten a lot of inbound interests for the larger ones. So not the companies, here's a laptop, do whatever you want, because they don't feel the issues. It's basically the very large. So think, you know, we say above 200 engineers, but the quite often one is like 1,000, 2,000, 300, 3,000, 10,000 engineers. And a lot of these aren't even software companies. Oh, yeah. Most of them are not software companies, right? And that's exactly the point. When we were researching and thinking about going out and building Daytona, mind you, this was like a huge risk for us. It's like, if you do it twice and you fail twice, like that's really, you know, in the same space. Like, I don't feel very, like going once, you know, the market wasn't right, like things happen. But if you do it twice, you know, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. Like it seems sort of like silly. So we had to do our due diligence. And what we did find is that a lot of companies, and I can share this with you as well, like, and I mentioned a lot of them already in the call, but LinkedIn, Shopify, Uber, Stripe, Palantir, Rippling, Eventbrite, like a lot of these tech companies 
have actually made something internally already because they are tech companies first and that's how they think about these things. It's like, oh, we have a problem. Like the developed environments are too small or we can't, you know, switch to other ones. Oh, let's just build it, right? And a lot of them built it like three years ago when the market was up. These companies were on a hiring spree, which unfortunately a lot of them are not currently, right? So they built them themselves. But the other companies that you're saying that are not tech companies, their base is not, they're either, you know, making rockets or making cars or transferring funds, like they are not going to go out and hire people to build this. Mind you, we found that it takes at least the companies that built it have anywhere between four to 12 people full-time just managing the system. And if you take an average engineer salary in the US, which is like all in 200K a year, all in, that's a quite an expensive thing where you can sort of, instead of that, buy it off the shelf. And so these large, to your point, non-tech first companies are the ones that have been basically knocking on our doors and looking for solutions for this. Right. And as you said, the economic downturn actually contributes to that because they want to invest less in this space, not Absolutely. more. Yeah, yeah. So there's been another important trend in the, oh, probably let's say last decade or so in the developer experience, and that is remotability, right? You know, developers want to work remotely. And, you know, that's this is well before the pandemic. Developers Mm -hmm. worked at home a lot. Developers worked in distributed organizations. Certainly the pandemic has fueled that. But even myself, you know, I like to... You know, we go up to the San Juan Islands all the time, which is in the Puget Sound in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest of the United States. For those who don't know the area, it's a very beautiful area, very, very isolated. And I love just bringing my computer out on the rocks on the ocean and just, you know, typing away and coding. And, and, and I can do that. Not all companies, of course, can do that, but I can do that. But one of the things what that says is, Combine that along with a lot of cases, developers, you know, aren't working nine to five. They're on call. They're supporting SaaS applications that could go down at any point in time. They need the ability to get online and work on code anytime, anywhere, no matter where they are. And so you tend to have this environment where developers are always bringing their laptops with them Mm -hmm. everywhere they go because they always need a way to get online. Yeah, I've always thought what I would love to be able to do is I've always got my iPad with me. Why can't I just uh-huh. do simple development on my iPad? And, you know, the answer, of course, is the tools just aren't there. You just can't do that. It doesn't work. But it sounds like this sort of a model might make that more practical in the future. I could have a limited IDE on my laptop, but have my development environment someplace else and use my same development environment I used on my desktop and it just sort of works. Is that the sort of thing that you see as Daytona enabling that could be valuable to the to companies? I'll just get to that first. So what I find is super amusing, I think now, and people can't see your faces, so I'm smiling. The original idea about code anywhere, and you said the word, the ability to code anywhere right now, was because me and my co-founder lived on the beach and we wanted not to bring our laptops with us. That's the genesis <laughs> of code anywhere, right? That's how it came to be, right? Especially since in 2009, if you recall, laptops were like five kilograms or whatever that is <laughs> right. in pounds. And, and you had this big block of like a power adapter and the batteries lasted for an hour, right? So you basically didn't want to bring these things with you. And so that's where the genesis was. And we went through the evolution. We actually built native mobile apps back in the day for iPhone, iPad, Android, and all these things. But it was super early at that point. So 
what we're concentrating on, and I'm not saying like it works now, so I believe it works good enough. You could try it out. Daytona's browser-based IDE on your iPad, I'm pretty sure it, it works good enough they can do something. But again, that's not our primary goal. But to your point, the primary goal is to create the development environment in the back end, which engineers can have that are their full development environments, right? The actual interface, what it will be on later is something we leave to someone else. So maybe, you know, VS Code makes a full iPad, uh, maybe, who knows? And then Daytona will be there in the back end to give you that development environment that you actually wanted to have or that you need to have to be able to do your job. Yeah, the thing I hear from companies like JetBrain, which I'm assuming the same thing's true with Microsoft and VS Code, is they don't want to build the environments for the iPad because there's no development environment there. There's just not enough power to do everything. Exactly. The IDE works, but they can't do anything else. Yeah. So it seems like this might actually encourage them to build iPad versions that have no ability to do anything locally, but have the mechanism to, you know, the same mechanism that the desktop versions have to connect remotely to the remote development environment, have build this IDE on an iPad that only connects to a remote development environment. Seems like that starts becoming more viable now, the better the remote development environments become. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about JetBrains, and I think JetBrains is a very interesting company, and they've been uniquely successful in the space, and it took them quite a long time to get there. And what we have talked to JetBrains, at least, they're still figuring out if this is happening now for reals. Like, for real, is this happening? Like, it's been like 15 years coming or 14 years coming. Like, is it really happening? And so what they're doing right now, you've probably seen this, is that in their JetBrains gateway, they're now enabling, like, there's buttons for third-party services, right? So there's, like, code spaces there in AWS and whatnot. And what they're doing... My understanding, so I have I have no knowledge of internal what JetBrains is deciding, but what my reading is that they're enabling all these players so that they can understand the market and figure out if development environments are here to stay, or remote development environments are, are here to stay. And if they are, then that affects their product roadmap for sure and how they continue building JetBrains. So it's a matter of trust. Is this a real industry or not? And that's what we're still trying Absolutely. to figure out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I personally hope it's a real industry. I love this whole concept and I, I hope it does catch on to the point where it becomes easy. And I see tools like Daytona as a way of doing that. Yeah. I, I don't have a remote development environment set up for my stuff. I do it all locally simply because that's the easiest way to do it. And I'm not working for an enterprise that requires it or anything else. I can do what I want, but it's just so much easier just to do it locally. But I would turn that around in a heartbeat if I thought it was viable, truly viable to use a remote development environment as easy as a local environment. And I, I guess that's your challenge, right, is to make that the case. Absolutely, that is. And to your point, because you don't work for large enterprises, it probably is easier for you to work as it is. And the idea is not to push it on you. And that's why we targeted the large, that's what we learned in Code Anywhere, I think. And I think the end developer should use what, makes them the most comfortable and most productive. But working in large corporations, there's very much, there are constraints. Not Most people don't work exactly how they like there because there are very stringent rules and whatnot. And so that's why we're going there first. So, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I've worked in large enterprises before. I've worked at Hewlett Packard. I worked at Amazon. I worked at yeah. other places. So I, oh, I get that so mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully later on to phase three of the company where we're looking at or in the industry in general, it trickles down to the end users and everyone's life 
just becomes so much easier because be it Daytona or some other product, it doesn't matter. I do recall, and I I guess you remember as well. I remember when I started programming in the late nineties or like programming as a business, like as a job. And I remember like I built out CMSs. They didn't like, there was no WordPress or you or whatever they were called. I forgot the names of the other CMSs back then. Oh, time is passing. But I remember like I fired up my laptop. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I fired up my laptop and I started building and I hit run and it worked right away. Right. And now it just like takes so much time to get these things up and running. And the learning curve I feel is on one hand seems to be shallower on the other hand, steeper to actually build products. And I want to bring that back. So I want the engineers of the world to basically have one command, paste their Git repository, and that it's up and running and you can actually get into the coding really fast. That's sort of where we want to see the world go. And so be it Daytona or someone else, that's really, if it's not belief, I hope that that's where we end up. That makes sense. And yeah, and I completely agree. The enterprise is the way to focus on this to get it started. But I definitely see value for even the independent software developers and of the world. But you're absolutely right. The greatest value on this, and actually one of the things you promote is the security aspects, is really that message is best driven towards the enterprise. Yeah. So great. Well, thank you. This has been a great conversation.